Anybody ever watch the show Hoarders, right? It is, it is sort of um, reality voyeurism at its finest. We, we turn the lens on to people whose lives are really just distraught, who really suffer, and we just, we're entertained by that. That's, that's the way I think we tend to work, period, now, is that we turn the lens onto the extremes so that we don't have to ponder our own brokenness. We can say, oh, well, thank goodness it's not us. Boy, that, that overstuffed basement of mine doesn't look so bad now. At least the rest of my house I can walk through. We, we have a similar risk today, right? Um, wealth inequality is a massive topic that is discussed in many places. In fact, um, Bernie Sanders has pretty much made his entire campaign platform around wealth inequality. Right, he goes and he, he was, he, he, this was, it was, it was somewhat genius of him, right? He went to Liberty University, the home of Jerry Falwell, conservative Christianity sort of at its core, and he owns up to the front, right, right owns up to the vast differences they have in, in some very major social issues, but he says, let's set that aside because here is a more important thing, something that affects so many more people. And then he started quoting the prophets at him. Beautiful. It's a great move. But in the midst of the conversation of wealth inequality, right, something like 10% of the population in the United States has control of like 85% of the wealth. And it is easy for us to say, Look at them. Turn the lens there. And that lens needs to be there. There needs to be a conversation about that. But we can also turn around and not have the conversation about how we contribute to some very serious problems with wealth in the world. But how we in the United States consume so many resources and so many people go without. We turn the lens to the extremes so that we, not, we need not face the mirror before us. And the history of Christianity in America, our text for today, has been incredibly worked on. Very, very hard. And here's, here's, here's a reality. The harder 
someone works a text in the Bible to get it to say what makes us feel good, probably the less faithful it is. Now, I know, I've seen it, I googled it, there are pictures of a gate in the city of Jerusalem. And it kind of looks like the eye of a needle. And so there are folks out there who have preached the sermon that what Jesus was talking about was a gate in a wall that merchants had to run their camels through and things that fell off were taxed. And so that, the preachers say, is that is the meaning of what Jesus was saying. He wasn't condemning wealth. He was talking about the rich merchants who had lots to, to do. The sad part is where that interpretation comes from is a, it's a gloss. Some monk in the, in the 10th century wrote in the side of the manuscript this interpretation. It's a, it's, a, it's a little interpretation that comes a thousand years after Jesus said the stuff. There's no real historical evidence that that was the thing Jesus, that just wasn't real clear. But we work it real hard because, gosh, let's not look at the mirror before us. So what do we do? It's easier for the camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. God, kingdom of God. It's Mark, sorry. We have to wrestle with our issues of wealth and the obstacles that that can permit for our lives of faith. In the, in the early centuries of the church, there are people who write extensively about wealth. Now we have people who preach that the gospel brings wealth. Right? And wealth, just to be clear, is, is more than money, right? Um, but St. Basil the Great, one of the, um, what we call the Cappadocian Fathers from an area in Turkey, he wrote, the bread which you hold back belongs to the hungry, the coat which you guard in your locked storage chest belongs to the naked, the footwear moldering in your closet begins to those without shoes, the silver that you keep hidden in a safe place belongs to the one in need. St. Ambrose of, Ambrose of Milan, the, the guy who brought in St. Augustine into the church, says the rich man who gives to the poor does not bestow alms but pays a debt. St. Francis of Assisi from the 1300s, it would be considered a theft on our part if we didn't give to someone in greater need than we are. St. Augustine, God has no need of your money but the poor have. You give it to the poor and God receives it.
We are a nation of hoarders. Many of us have. I went to South Africa um, as a seminary student for a cross-cultural um, requirement. Uh, spent two weeks there and I stayed with a family and, the, and the, at one point the dad pulled uh, my friend and I who were staying at his house aside and um, he sees the images of America. He, he knows we're American. He pulls us aside and wonders if we might have anything for him to help uh, him and his abundance, right? So his, his family. The, and we're, we were poor seminary students, and yet we still had enough to get there. But it wasn't as simple as he thought. But now we're stuck in a, in a reality. What do we do? How do we do it? When we walk down the street and the person living in homelessness has the cup before us, jingling it for change, we know it's not so simple to just toss the money in the cup. But that doesn't excuse us from doing anything, which so often we just walk by and forget. And when we turn the mirror on ourselves, the burden is great. It is heavy. I feel it in my own life as I have a house full of kids who want stuff and we try to say and build stuff and yet they still have much. And so many people have so little. And so we turn to God's grace. Last week, we heard of uh, the texts about divorce and um, Pastor Evans down at First Lutheran Church uh, who was divorced and who was married to someone who has been divorced had stepped up into the pulpit and blatantly just offered up I'm an adulterer and so was my wife because we do know that the sinfulness and brokenness of the world is not the end and rather than being shouldered down or burdened with the great perhaps guilt or shame or paralysis at the notion that we can do anything. We remember Christ's words. For mortals it is impossible, but for God it is, for all things are possible. So that the reality that we face in the midst of the brokenness of the world is that we may rely and trust on God's grace. My colleague, campus pastor over at the University of Kentucky, wrote leading up to this, uh, to this day. He says, the grace of God is free, 
so that every poor person can afford it and no rich person may buy it. We may understand the gift that God gives us. God withhold, withheld nothing to seek to redeem us and heal the brokenness of the world. We, we may understand in the midst of that gift that we are free, free to live out a calling that seeks to bring wholeness in the, in the midst of a broken world. We are free from the burden of, of guilt and shame so that we may go and do, that we may be agents of those who bring about a more just and peaceful society. For those who live in poverty, for those who live in a terrible sort of unjust world, peace is at its, is at the core. If the proclamation of our faith is that Christ brings a reign of peace, this is included in the midst of it for this that peace is inherently rooted with justice. We may see the great, generous love God showers upon us, and that we may share it with others. We may enter into ways, and conversations, and help, but we may also enter into the small acts that begin to break apart, break down the walls that separate us. And we may freely look in the mirror, not out of fear, but out of love. For we know all of the faults that we see in the mirror are things that we may answer through Christ, things that we may address, things that Christ will bring to an end in his reign. Thanks be to God. Amen.